Welcome to Leave Your Mark, where I explore the influences that have shaped the lives of our incredible guests. These are the stories of lives worth talking about. Follow me on Twitter at Built by Scott and Instagram at King O'Pain, or link up with me on my Facebook fan page at Scott G. Livingston. My goal is to create a community of people who take every opportunity to live high-performing lives. Before I get started on today's podcast, I want to take a moment to connect you with my sponsor, ReconditioningHQ.com. Reconditioning is a method and language of integrated practice. It brings the worlds of therapy and conditioning together and helps them become more powerful and more practical. If you live in one or both of these worlds or you use the services of a therapist or conditioning coach, you know that sometimes they don't see eye to eye. They aren't on the same page. Reconditioning provides a time-tested process for aligning these two worlds and creating impactful solutions to performance problems. Follow them at Reconditioning HQ on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, or become a member of their Facebook group, Reconditioning HQ Revolution, and join the Reconditioning Revolution. Hello and welcome to Leave Your Mark. I'm Scott Livingston. Today I have the opportunity to speak with Paul Gagne. Paul is a posturologist, strength and conditioning consultant, and rehab specialist, and has been in practice for over 35 years. He is the co-founder of the DTS Desmotech training system and also serves as a consultant for the Octagon Sports Agency. His expertise lies in training protocols for postural balance, neuromuscular balance, and performance enhancement. He's developed a unique postural and functional evaluation and training system. During his career, he's trained many elite, Olympic and professional athletes in various sports. He travels the world teaching and sharing his knowledge. He's 31 years married and a father. I'm happy to have him on the show today. Welcome, Paul. Thank you, Scott. Thank you. It's nice to uh, to meet with a colleague from the same city who uh, there's been mutual respect over the years for our professional capacities, but we don't spend all that much time together. I'm too busy, I guess, in some sense, from a work perspective. So nice to carve out some time to chat. Tell me um, about uh, growing up. Where did you grow up and, and what were your big influences as a, as a kid? I'm uh, from Lachine, and uh, that's, that's kind of a <laughs> steel-working little factory kind of city, but hockey is a passion there. Mm-hmm. And it's, uh, I mean, I think there's so many hockey players in that area from Lachine, LaSalle, Villemard, Verdun, that we were soaked in it as, as, as kids. Were you a Habs fan growing up? Oh, yeah, big time. I mean, a good friend of mine was Normand Cournoyer, Yvonne's brother. Okay. And he, he actually taught me how to skate, and we could see every day, like, Jacques Lemaire was around us and Phil Goyette and, and the Los Angeles. I mean, we were, again, hockey, we were so lucky in Lachine to see all these elite guys all the time. And so did you aspire? Were you, who was your favorite player? Who did you aspire to be when you were out playing in the park? Oh, Ivan Cournoyer was my because of the <laughs> share, first of all, same city, but also pretty much the same body body type. <laughs> Actually, I always remember meeting him for the first time in a clinic. He had gotten the scope on his knee, and I had to do a little rehab exercise routine. I couldn't believe how big his thighs were. He was a strong dude. <laughs> he was one of the first guys, I think, to really train back then. Really? I used to see him. Yeah, he was doing like a lot of squat stuff, like body weight. But most of the guys, they played softball all summer or play golf. And he was a good tennis player, too, also. What was what was your favorite sport come growing up? Was it hockey, or did you sort of have an affinity? And I saw what you wrote. You played a lot of different sports. So, what, which one did you like the most? I think baseball was pretty much my because of my body size. I'm not that big at five six, and I used to be very good at baseball. Hockey, I was 
young, I was really good. Like from six to nine, I was like one of the top players in Lachine. But I guess I never grew up after I think I think nine, and then I kept the same size, and that that played a big role. And and uh, in these days, in the in the 60s and 70s, the the game was not the same. But I think baseball was pretty much the, the, my, my best sport that I, I, I performed the best. So you you and I are roughly around the same age, and you know what was what was the influencing factor for your vocation professionally, what, you, how did you sort of discover um, where you have gone to in, in, in the early days? Like what, what drew you to that? Well, I remember when I started to wrestle at high school at 12 years old that I don't know why, but I took control about the weight room. And suddenly I saw that people listened to me and I, I always been training. I mean, I was in judo at six years old. My mom even put me in ballet for two years I was freaking out, but it helped me so much with, with balance. And I remember that I got stopped on the street by my buddies and I had my little bag and they opened the bag and they saw my little stretch. I think I thought I would move up city, but I mean, out of that, I mean, again, I'm from Lachine. I'm not from Westmouth. <laughs> Good thing I didn't get beat up, yeah, but it, yeah. it, it helped me so much that, I saw that the level of conditioning, although I didn't have a more body type to be a very good athlete, very small, and I saw the value of, of training conditioning at the very early age that you could kind of overcome lack of talent as I had. And I built my own gym downstairs and all my teammates became at my house now. And that's how I would say 12, 13 years old says, wow, I really want to be a trainer or something like that. How did how did you know what to do, or were you influenced like by all the bodybuilding magazines as as was I when you were young, so to speak? Uh, huge, huge, huge. <laughs> I mean, it's like I, I don't know. Uh, muscle and fitness. I read every one of them. Um, uh, muscle Mag that was really big back then from mm-hmm. Ontario, and Iron Man. I mean, that was for me. Like I, I started with bodybuilding. I mean, I, I guess everybody did, and it was like freaky. Like uh, it was an obsession. <laughs> so when did it become something you can contemplate it as a vocation, as a profession for yourself? Was it uh, like, when, when did that conversion and how did that conversion happen for you? But I, I, I didn't even go to school in that because I was pretty, I mean, I was a good student. Mm-hmm. And back then uh, in high school, you needed 36 credits to go to CEGEP. And I had them at secondaire 4, that's I think in English, I think it's grade, uh, grade 10. But I was only 15, and but my mom didn't want me to go to Sejep at that 16. The year after, she thought I was immature, and she was really right. But uh, then I went, I went in business because I was very good in school. And everybody in 1978, when I entered college, that's where you went. And only later on, I transferred and I started to train athletes. I was 20, 21, although I didn't have any calling. But I mean. I was in the gym all the time and surrounded with very good athletes. Mm. And then I learned, and my neighbor was Russian, and he gave me a lot of magazines, like a lot of uh, sports institute that used to translate that. And I got fascinated by all back then in the 70s, the Russian train, and, and it was freaky. And that's all I got involved. And I only went later on to school to, I never had, I, actually, I don't even have a bachelor's degree in exercise science. I went to Marseille to study with, uh, in postrology with Guy Voyer and pretty much at 
the Ottawa Sports Science Center with Ed McNeely and mm-hmm. Al Reed. And from there, uh, I even went to one of your workshops. I remember with Lauren Goldenberg was one of the first great workshop. You were one of the first guys to really, okay, you, I remember exactly what you did, like unstable, stable. You had so much. That, that, that's, uh, I still want to thank you about that because it really changed our mind back then of being like more bodybuilders and lifting heavy. Uh, West Side Barbell. I spent even time there at West Side Barbell. But as soon as you took athletic therapy to bring it to training, that really, really it was a game changer for me. And I still want to thank you for that time. It was really interesting. Very cool. Um, so obviously, you don't take you don't take the so-called regular path. You take sort of a circuitous route to this profession were there other influences at the time did you ever have a moment where you said you know i should be doing this or maybe i'm going to go in a different pathway or you or you just kind of fell in love with training people and it just kept flowing from there our sponsor reconditioninghq.com is going virtual the reconditioning level one has been turned into a complete online experience and all the time tested systems and processes are now available to you in 20 hours of online video modules and two virtual zoom sessions reconditioning is a very powerful language and system of practice that brings the worlds of therapy and performance together in one complete package and helps you deliver the most powerful injury and performance solutions to your clients check them out at reconditioninghq.com today and join the reconditioning revolution but because of my grades uh, they all wanted me to be a doctor but in my family coming from a very very low middle class i had no role model i mean that's i still feel like i'm a, a trainer doctor <laughs> i have that passion of helping people and that that's my main main goal in life mm-hmm. but then around 2021 I took a lot of different online courses and different like different routes like with Ottawa and stuff. And then it became more, more, more. And actually, I got a credit by Canadian government to be a, a, a fitness appraiser. And for me, that was like a big deal. Because finally, I'm getting recognized more into that, that mainstream. And I, I, I got a bit sidetracked because my, my, uh, I was pretty successful very early on with athletes. I should have gone to school, actually. I wanted to be an athletic therapist, but I was making so much money that's sad that I said, listen, why do I need that? But, I mean, in retrospect, I should have done it, but, I mean, that's what happened. That's my mm-hmm. early success with athlete got me to, okay, um, I'm pretty good. I'll stay there. Hmm. And w- what kind of athletes were you working with? Was it most? Was it more hockey players, or did you? was it a really big uh, sort of – the group of different different kinds of athletes that you were working with but back in those days mainly hockey but also uh in wrestling and i had a, made a couple of contacts in the u.s also in ncaa and already started to the wrestling club used to hire me but i would say that my first big athletes were mainly uh, hockey players and I, I'm kind of understand based on what you just said uh, around helping people. What did you fall in love with in terms of training people? Is it just being able to help them, or is there something else about it? Oh, it made them feel. Mm-hmm. I, I saw the change. I've always been fascinated by human potential. Uh, I still remember I was 12 years old. I was reading a prayer of consciousness of Swami Muktananda. I mean, I'm. I don't know how I got to that that book. And I was fascinated about the yogis and uh, Qigong and, and martial arts and how the brain 
uh, we were probably influenced in our wrestling days. Daniel Rabin was our coach, uh, a tremendous person. And, and they, they had, wrestling was a bit more a, a kind of a uh, mixed martial art back then. And that, that kind of that Qigong uh, mentality, Kung Fu. And we had that. And I've always been fascinated that if you train hard, if you meditate, if you take the time to increase your brain at the same time as your body, you, you, there's no limit where you're going to achieve. Mm-hmm. And still today, that's what drives me into what I do. Very cool. I've always found in Quebec, it's an interesting, there's like this interesting uh, confluence that you don't see in most of the rest of North America. I mean, the States, our industry is very dominated by football, NCAA, all those kinds of, all that's bigger, faster, stronger sort of paradigm. And I always found in Quebec, there was kind of different influencers. There was the bodybuilding influence. There was kind of the strongman influence. And then there was kind of this almost multifaceted uh, stuff that came from France and uh, you were kind of influenced by some of this, like describe the influencers on your thinking. Like I know you have people that have influenced you, but what, what kind of shaped your, the way you look at how you train athletes and train clients versus, you know, the typical strength coach in the States would look at things. But posture as a posturologist, uh, I want to improve the brain function of the athlete. And that's my main, main, by when you, you study posturology with the skin of the foot, the roll of the eyes, uh, the cerebellum and all these things, I knew that I had to start there. Before that, I didn't know it. But in the early 90s, that really was an eye-opener. And uh, Charles Poliquin was a big influence on me on that because he was one of the first guys that, really looked like a bodybuilder, really trained. But when you were sitting down uh, alone with him, he had that vision too of there is something else that, that we, we perceive. And uh, all the, uh, that, that was a main, main thing. And then mixed, like you said, with France. And all it's, it's, it's a toolbox. Always when I teach, I tell the kids, it's, there's no one method. I'm not like... This is what I like about what you guys you do. It's it's not like okay, this is not my method. It's a mix of everything, and here's what I'm going to teach you. But you need to turn to train yourself to apply it mm-hmm. because it's not a one size fits all, and that's what I like. It's infinite. Mm-hmm. I I mean, we have similar athletes. I'm pretty sure that what we do is not that different, but it is different, and we all reach very good level. We could mm-hmm. switch them. And you could, we could re-reproduce that that much. And mm-hmm. I think, I think it's the passion. I think Scott is what we. The, I think the trainer. We underestimate how much you love to train people. Makes a big difference. I think. I think even more than the methodology you use. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was going to ask you. Yeah, I was going to ask you the the human side of that. When did you when did you begin to recognize like there's there's probably an intuitive part of that, but did you begin to recognize the the power of the relationship in what you did versus the power of the knowledge or the technical acumen you brought to the table? When did you really become clearer on that in some sense if that was a big part of it? But having a mother like I had, she was like so loving and so, and understood that you could overcome everything with love. Uh, she, I mean, that's where she always says, listen, son, the only thing you have is love. And if you're able to put that kind of love into 
not force it, but look at people on, on the side that to love them, not to get profit about them. If you genuinely love people, may not be today, may not be tomorrow, but you'll see, even if there's nothing coming back, everything came back because you're giving. The more you give, it's kind of ego too. I mean, when you do something good, you feel good, then it's kind of, okay, it's a win-win situation, but it's still feeding yourself of, okay, I feel good when I do good. It's better than Dexter of feeling good killing people, but obviously there is a, a profit of having that, mm-hmm. of making feeling people good. Mm-hmm. I, guess, I guess it's it's good for everybody, but... You were uh, you mentioned Charlie uh, Poliquin before, and um, you know I knew Charlie relatively well, not as well as yourself. And I've talked to a few guys who've gotten to know him well over the years, like Lord Goldenberg and other people. And Charlie Charlie always seemed to have kind of two sides to him. One was the what I would call the public side of of his persona, which was uh, you know hard to hard to. To, to play with sometimes. And then there was the more intimate side. And I'm just curious what you experienced in working with him as a mentor. What did that mean to you? And, and what did you learn from him about, uh, about what, how you carry yourself now professionally? It's that's it. He had these two um, personalities and he was so loving and caring alone. Also in public too, he had a, a sense of humor, but he was so a perfectionist Mm-hmm. And I think that that created him a bit of kind of aggressiveness, a bit against people that not against, but if you they saw that you made a mistake on your own. I mean, it's not the fault of people. You don't wake up in the morning and say, oh, I'll be bad today. It's just sometimes I mean, no one has bad intentions. Mm-hmm. It could come come out bad. But Charlie had a very uh, short fuse on that. As to rephrase Jerry Seinfeld, says uh, Jerry Seinfeld always says, as I get older, my level of tolerance is lower. <laughs> it's not that I don't like people, but I tolerate things less. And Charlie had a very low level of tolerance. But I've learned from him that just don't, don't leave the small stuff. Always take care of the small details. Mm-hmm. The small details... Like he always compared like the the Zen factor, you you the Kaizen he called it. Like take a little step and you see that little step will transform into a big step. Don't 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 go too fast. Mm-hmm. Take your time to build the foundation. And that's this is what I found back in France with Marseille, with Doctor Guivoyer, with all these people around me, uh, like Rico. They had the same type of building small building blocks. And be patient, and it will happen. Matrix Fitness is one of the largest commercial fitness brands in the world and one of the fastest growing in the industry. Their equipment and programs are used by athletes and coaches at all levels globally. COVID-19 has changed and will change so many things. During these uncertain times, Matrix's team of engineers have quickly put together its free home workout app and youth at home workout programs. With its launch just a couple of weeks ago, they now have first responders, pro athletes, and average folks using the guide to help them with their daily movement. This is a great example of how Matrix strives to be the best fitness company in the world to serve people and communities is their goal. You can download their free app and see additional resources at matrixtotalsolutionssupport.com. That is HTTPS www.matrixfitnesssolutionssupport.com. 
How did how did uh, you get to know Dr. Mel Sif? How, how, how were you connected to him? Uh, through uh, Kim Goss. Uh, Kim was, I, we actually, I met Kim at the same time I met Lauren Goldenberg 25 years ago at Paul's check place. That was a week like to remember Charles Staley was there. Uh, Kim Goss was there. Charles Poliquin was there. My good friend, Yves Etier. It, it was a, a smorgasbord of all the top guys, but back then no one was really well known. Mm-hmm. And this is how I met through Kim right after he says, oh, I got someone that I really want you to. And he gave me the book super training that really was a game changer. And I spent a lot of time with Mel in, uh, in Colorado uh, when he moved from South Africa. Hmm. And uh, it was really interesting. He was one of the, I would say one of the, what gave Voyer probably the biggest influence mentally on how to view uh, the human body. So tell me what changed, like before Melsif and after Melsif. What 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 is the difference in the way you you um, looked at things? But Mel was more a weightlifter background, Olympic weightlifter. But also he had a bit of that not bodybuilding mentality, but more of you need to be segmentally strong to to achieve a good movement. That was very different than what happened in the states. In the states, they had two schools: the Paul check of doing instability all over the place. And, I mean, it was great for a lot of people or just that pure uh, football training of sagittal plane and load, load, load. Mel had a good mix. Mel mm-hmm. spent a lot of time in Russia mm-hmm. and they had a lot of different type of, uh, of upbringing, but also he was so brilliant. He brought uh, science into what we had found in the gym. Mm-hmm. That, that really that really makes you feel good. You say, oh, I'm not that bad. Okay, what I found, because I was a gym rat. That's how I became in that field. But it's also good to have a science guy to say, hey, Paul, see what you did. This is what happened. This is mm-hmm. why it happens. Mm-hmm. That, that, for me, was a game changer. So you're 31 years married and 40-some years together with your gal. How, how, do, you, how do you make that work? And how is that? What's, what's your success equation there, uh, creating a relationship from that young and keeping it going and stuff? Tell me about that. I don't really know. I mean, it's, <laughs> I, I tell you, I, I'll, my wife's not around. She puts Stop up with it. you. Don't, don't, don't tell it. Don't tell it. You say, yes, dear. <laughs> See, remember, I have six sisters. I was raised with six, six, six women. And uh, no, she's a good friend of mine. I don't know. I met her. I was 16. She was 14 years old. Tomorrow, actually, it's going to be 42 years together. We're, she became, I don't know, my best friend. It's like a soulmate. It's like we... we I mean, we, we dance. It's like if she knows I'm pretty Taipei. She's a banker, retired banker. She's more like very in the mind. She's really organized. I'm more the artist pretty much mm-hmm. all over the place. And that's why on my shoulder blade I have a tattoo of yin yang. I guess she even got that for me in my 40th birthday, I guess, to, to okay, here's what, this is really us, the mm-hmm. yin yang. That's and, really cool. Well, t- I want to I want to spin back to that because you you know you I was looking for that space to come in on the six sister thing but you know you grow up with six sisters you got to find space for yourself there um, and how, how do you uh, 
how does that influence you? I know you've trained a lot of women in your career too. Um, and what, what did you take away from being the brother to six girls and, and how you kind of go into relationships when you're training women and stuff? What, what are some keys that you can bring to the, to the world of, of our industry? But you, you need to see for, for being with girls, they need to know why. They, they, you need to explain. You you have to increase. You have to go with the feeling, but also you need to take a little more time to explain the because they, they like that the way the the, the 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 thinking. They need to understand. They're not they're not as robotic as guys. Mm-hmm. And you, you need to also. I mean, I had the three sisters. Uh, Maxim, Justin, and Chloe Dufault at that point. I've been with them for 17 years now. They're like my little, my little, my little daughters I never had. And all three of them are different. And But they all have that kind of explanation needing. Mm-hmm. And that's what my sister taught me. She says, you're not talking to a guy. Take the time to, first of all, listen. You have two ears, one mouth. And that's hard for me because I love to talk and I like to a lot of like a Jack Russell Terrier. I'm always moving around. And but that's what they taught me. Check. And also perception is very different. Look at how they move. Women talk a lot with their body, with their eyes, without they think you will perceive it. But guys, we're so much in our body, so much in our, I don't know testosterone maybe that we don't perceive that and that's that's where being patient not too rough just and guide them but get very smooth you don't you don't yell at women athletes you don't do that it's it doesn't work like that that's very good uh, good good advice who is your who is your most influential sister of the sister of the six that you had Here again with another word from our sponsor, Zenkai Sports, the new disruptor in the performance apparel world. Zenkai uses a brand new technology that repels liquids, keeping you cooler during intense activity as the sweat evaporates naturally off your skin. This allows athletes to regulate body temperature easier and push themselves harder as we harness the power of our sweat. Sweat is our friend. Keep it on you. Zenkai Sports is also the only performance apparel company which is cotton-based. All of their gear is over 65% cotton and some pieces over 95%. Cotton is biodegradable, feels great against our skin, and is much better for our environment than synthetic-based apparel. Please go to ZenkaiSports.com for more information and for 20% off your entire order. Just use the discount code LYM20. It's hard because the youngest one uh, was 15 when I was was born. And a lot of people they even think I'm a, I'm a lonely child because from the age of six to now, I was alone in the house with my parents. Mm. I, was, I was a spoil. I was the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. My <laughs> sister, even today, my elderly are 84 years old. And uh, they, they, I mean, they always came, oh, yeah, the brother had it all. Yeah, my dad was 47 when he had me and my mom 43 and was kind of an accident, I guess. And... Uh, <laughs> After 25 years of marriage, I don't think she wanted anymore. But anyway, she got. But it, it, uh, it the the young one, Louise, probably was the most because I spent a lot of time with her, mm. and we're very similar. We 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 have very different, we have very similar personality. Cool. So tell me, how how do you end up meeting uh, Guy Boyer, and how does that change your your viewpoint of how you work and what you do? 
one of my colleagues, uh, Fred Sari, became a good osteopath. He was, uh, Guy was a teacher at the CEO back then, a biomechanic teacher in the 90s. And Fred said, Paul, I met a guy, osteopath, you really need to see him. He says, come on, man. I was like, you know, with, with Louis Simmons and Charlie and osteopath from France. Are you out of your mind? <laughs> says, okay, I'll go. First course was Eldoa. Very technical. Back then it was 40 hours in four days. And the French from Quebec, it's very different than the France from France. And Guy being, being very eloquent, he saw that we were two guys, Yvette and I in the class that didn't belong there. We were the only non-osteo. And we were kind of, back then, was, I was pretty big, and Eve, too, was pretty jacked up. And he took us under, like, not his wing. He really picked on us, like, hard. But it made us so good after. That's, we, we right away, we became, and we, we learned that he was a world champion judo. He worked with Serge Nubret. He worked with the Mansur brother. He worked with a lot of bodybuilders back then. And right away, within the, the first four days, we actually became friends. And for since the last 25 years, mm. that was a real game changer. He, he, he has that ability of biomechanic science and also putting science into a gym because he's, he was a gym rat too. Cool. That's, 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 that's where it's fun. So you start working. When do you start working? What's, who's your first, uh, first Olympic athlete that you start working with and how does your, your uh, experience with sort of, I'm, I guess I'm trying to parse your experience with the professional athlete um, and the Olympic athlete. You know, I have my viewpoints on it, but what, you know, when you started to experience that genre of athlete, what did, what did you notice or, or uh, reflect upon? I was exposed very early on to Olympic athletes because of my background in wrestling. I remember mm-hmm. a guy like Ray Takahashi, who was like one of the top wrestlers, and I used to help them. I had a lot of guys in my hometown from uh, Chong Lee. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, had, they had Pietro Gigliotti, who was world champ uh, in uh, Taekwondo, and, and they, they became Olympians too. And I used to, I mean, they used to train with me. They were my training partners. I used to teach them, but it was not formal. If you remember, Scotty, back then when we started like 35 years ago, first of all, we didn't make money. And they were more like training buddies than they were, okay, I'm going to train you as as your coach. Hmm. Then after that, Jamie Sally uh, and David Pelletier were one of the first ones. Patrice Lauzon with Marie-France Dupré in figure skating. Uh, then we had uh, Mike Sirovatka hired us as the uh, strength coach for Eastern Canada for Alpine skiing development. Actually, had the honor of meeting Eric and Stefan Gay back then, and they were like 14, 15 years old. And uh, we, we, but we were in charge of all Eastern Canada for about two, three years. But they kind of ran out of money. I was tired of I was tired of getting paid with ski equipment and looked like a Bernard Trottier back home. But and then we got with short track speed skating uh, before the. Uh, uh, I mean, it was very interesting to see that 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 kind. Of, but again, to to go back to your first question, wrestlers were pretty much my first judo and wrestling were pretty much my first kind of so-called clients that I that I helped to to get a little like better in the gym. 
Well, it's, I was kind of leaning towards or interested in uh, not that maybe it's a different experience, but from what I have found over time or found during my career that, you know, the pro athletes, especially hockey players back when we were younger and working with them, um, they, this was all new to them, this idea of training and what they had to do off ice and, um, and then, but the Olympic athletes, it was always kind of, it's always seemed to be something they understood they had to buy into. And so, and there was a kind of, a, I guess, a greater professionalism in the Olympic athlete, uh, in terms of their sense of what, what, like the hockey player played the game versus the Olympic athlete knew that training was a part. Was that your experience or was it a different experience? That- Matrix Fitness produces training equipment that focuses on improving the training experience for athletes and coaches alike with equipment that focuses on building speed, power, and explosive performance in the most efficient manner, Matrix has partnered with some of the top sporting organizations worldwide. As a global brand with local support, the Matrix performance team assists their customers with solutions, research, and training protocols so coaches can focus on what they do best, help athletes prepare for competition, and get better. Follow them on Facebook and Instagram at Matrix Fitness Canada for the latest updates around the success stories that document what makes Matrix unique as an equipment manufacturer. No, it was the same. Uh, they, they have more discipline, I guess, because they travel a lot alone, especially single sport athlete. They're very autonomous, like in wrestling and mogul skiing and even figure skating. The athlete has to be very, very uh, alone. Like he has to be very, very good at finding ways to... There's no one around them. They're not that... That there's no teammates mm-hmm. and hockey, football, even soccer, everything is taken care of. They're, they're kind of they're there's they're in maturity wise, uh, Olympic athlete they mature I think way quicker than than professional athletes. Mm-hmm. I'm going to use this moment to segue to a little piece I do in my podcast, which is the day you were born. So my book, my trusty book. Call the day you were born. You are a cancer one, born July 1st, correct? Yep, yep. So your purpose is to use both strength and weakness to manifest your creative talents, turning adversity into advantage by your ability to use all sides of yourself spontaneously and without fear to share your strength and fears with others, helping them grow. In this dynamic, sun and moon should have equal billing. Unfortunately, balance is not easily maintained for the the cancer the needs of others are probably overwhelming there is a magic word that can make everyone disappear if if said with conviction it's no the moon and sun will be in harmony when yes and no have equal opportunity the sun moon dynamics must know its limits the cancer environment is very indulgent whatever cancer offers the world will take and ask for more their competitive spirit spirit also makes it hard for them to say no The cancer should practice setting limits and their reward will be space enough in which to express themselves. Can you send that to me, please? (laughs) This is like, did you talk to my my mom or what happened? (laughs) Scotty, that's that's amazing. It's a little crazy. But it's not crazy. It is like, it's like you, you extracted exactly... Although we know each other a bit, but it's like, whoa, whoa, that, that, that's freaky. 
<laughs> I tell you, that's, that's why I read it because the book. Wow. Uh, well, I I, th- I don't know if you've listened to me any of my podcasts when I oh, yeah, yeah. read the read the thing. I had a saying tape to the top of my desktop that I had for years, and then I picked this book up and I go to read my purpose, and I'm like, whoa! And then the saying was in the first line of the. I'm like, oh, geez, I'm buying this book. You know, it was pretty. Cool. What, what, what's what's that book? It's called The Day You Were Born. It was written by a woman okay. named Lin- Linda Joyce, who I actually got to interview afterwards. Uh, quite an interesting wow. that yeah. is freaky <laughs> <laughs> so on that on that question of uh you know needing to say no and not what has that been has that been a challenge for you in your life and, and oh. how have you overcome that challenge over time how many hours you have scott please <laughs> or, or, no that that scott it is this is something i'll be 60 years old soon i still can't figure out what kind of subconscious program i have to have to say yes to everything. Like, as an example, I just started Zoom. Like, I, I got back from Guadeloupe a month ago, and I had to be quarantined. And we didn't have a job. We didn't have a gym. We don't know, okay, what do I do? Within two days, Zoom was on. I worked like 12 hours a day. But, I mean, it's, and I, I mean, um, don't get me wrong, I'm not getting paid for a lot of those. A lot of the young hockey players, they call me and the parents, they're out of a job. He says, okay, I, I, my wife is a banker. I don't even show her my, my Zoom like, account. They say, you're doing good? Say, yeah, we're good, good. Don't look at my bank account, but we're doing very well. But that's the thing. If you have a trick, please share it, but I'm not sure. I think I'll need another 60 years to be knowing to say no. I, I'm like a Jack Russell Terrier. I see a ball and I want to play with it. That's my problem. I get excited very, very quickly. <laughs> what what keeps what is still exciting for you to train um, the best athletes is I mean it's probably changed over the years, but is it trying to figure out how to make them better? Is it trying to solve the problems that they have? What 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 gets you jacked about working with athletes now? Actually, it's working with regular people and bringing them to be more athletic. Mm. that's my that's my fun and i would say the last two years a lot of my older hockey players they got married uh some of these switch agencies they moved and i would say the last two years i have a lot less last year i rediscovered working with young hockey players mm. and lorna told me that goldenberg when he moved to to uh to uh pittsburgh he started to work with young and i looked at him like a couple years ago said in my mind, he says, what are you doing? You're so good. And he says, Paul, I feel so good. To mm. First of all, they listen to you. They, they, they're, <laughs> they're, they're drinking everything you say because of, I mean, it's all like, okay. I mean, we have a good record, but it's our athletes. We're just the architect. We're not, mm. We didn't play a sport. We're just there to guide them. And, but anyway, the kids for the parents and the kids are like, wow, I'm working with Paul Gagne. It's, it's the end of the world. And just that part, that 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 fact is like wow it's it's amazing and they're never late they never they never care it's so beautiful and also again my regular clients that i see that most of them were injured they're able to toe-to-toe train with uh, athletes like this morning i did a zoom session with uh, Dr. Mathieu Boilly is our radiologist that we're doing a lot of research with Desmotech on ultrasound to see how the fascia and he was training with uh, Jonathan Huberto. They both have their Desmotech studio and we did like a duel like uh, we're going to post that to see how NHL players 
are supporting our troops, the doctors. But mm. believe me, if you see the Zoom and you'll see it, which one is the best? We're not sure. They're pretty, they're pretty equal. On, they're pretty good. And they have the same amount of weight and the same volume. And that's for me. It, it's amazing for that. That's, uh, it's, that's the, the best value I get. That's really cool. You started, um, when did you really start teaching some of the stuff that like, you obviously we all go through this period of experiencing learning and then you, you, some people shift into teaching when you, when did that sort of shift happen for you? And what did you enjoy most about teaching? Well, when I was with Guy Voyer, he he didn't speak that much English at the beginning. And then we had a lot of Americans wanted to learn more, and I was there to do more of the translation. Mm. And I saw that it, it helped me a lot, and it was was fun too. And I had to pay attention because I had to listen to a French that doesn't really speak Quebecois and that use very big words. And I had to make it into a vulgarized way for the Americans that <laughs> don't have that kind of because a lot of words in, in French don't really translate. And that's mm. how I said I. I really like that part of, of, of teaching and I like that, that kind of communication. And that's mm-hmm. where it's really started like in the nineties, I would say that uh, I started. And did you, like, I don't know um, your, the mentorship side of your life, but have you had a number of people that have kind of worked under you or studied under you that sort of mentored with you? And if so, is that something you enjoy doing or is that something you're not as connected to? I do. I, I, they, they, my nickname, they called me the Montreal Expos. I, I, I helped a lot, a lot of trainers, and then they go on their own after. Cause, but it's like that. I love it. Like a dear friend of mine, Marc-André Wilson, like he, he, I met him very young, great athlete, and he became very good uh, physical prep, and, and he pretty amazing. And I have many, like Andy Morin, who's a pro golfer. But over the years, I've never took a lot of internship a bit like matt nichols matt and i i used to train matt matt was uh, a linebacker with mcgill and us too and i did a bit of this program and later on says paul you think interns says not really says not me too says what are you going to learn says it's true they're gonna they're gonna look at us and it's kind of we repeat a lot of the same stuff and it's very individual. Interns, they look at for recipes, but there's no, like, like it's everything is great. Mm-hmm. I, I would not feel good to really charge you a lot of money to follow me, although there is a value. I'd rather give my mini workshops. That's what I do now. Mm-hmm. People, they, they tell me, Paul, could you put aside like four hours, let's say on Zoom, and I'll line up questions for you. And then we'll go in the gym. This I like. But to follow me for a week, you won't learn that much. I mean, you're going to see me bark orders and have fun and, and chin in, abs tight, uh, big toe up. And that's what you're going to – I mean, you're going to become a parrot, but you will not – that, that's, that's pretty much what I do all day. Oh, watch your chin. Oh, watch. Go back. Oh. That's <laughs> – and what what inspires your growth now? What are you what are you more interested in now, or what do you seek to to learn more about uh, in your own world? 
Here again with another word from our sponsor, Zenkai Sports, the new disruptor in the performance apparel world. Zenkai uses a brand new technology that repels liquids, keeping you cooler during intense activity as the sweat evaporates naturally off your skin. This allows athletes to regulate body temperature easier and push themselves harder as we harness the power of our sweat. Sweat is our friend. Keep it on you. Zenkai Sports is also the only performance apparel company which is cotton-based. All of their gear is over 65% cotton and some pieces over 95%. Cotton is biodegradable, feels great against our skin, and is much better for our environment than synthetic-based apparel. Please go to ZenkaiSports.com for more information and for 20% off your entire order. Just use the discount code LYM20. Uh, I mean, I tell you, Scott, it's 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 funny that we had dinner uh, last summer and we haven't met for, for for a long time. You're busy, I'm busy, but what you do really inspired me. Of like, I say, wow, there's a guy that's similar background. You were not that present before. You were not like Mister uh, Instagram, and we're pretty much the same age. Says, and I, I listen to your podcast a lot. I, I I I see you on the internet, and it helps me a lot to okay. Here's how you have to structure yourself more to become. I don't want to become famous on the internet. It's just I want to give a better, uh, a, a better show. Basically, mm-hmm. we're on, we're putting on a show to be able to communicate more. What my mind goes at 500 miles an hour to make it that you don't feel like I'm on the highway. That you you grasp everything, slowing down, and then okay, here's what Paul meant when he was running like Usain Bolt. And this is, but because we have very different personality, you're more yeah. that, that calm kind. And that's why I try to mimic more your, your, your more calmness. And you're, again, <laughs> I, I thank you about that because when I'm, I listen to you, Already my heart rate goes down. <laughs> Pretty good. As Stu McMillan is called my dulcet tones when he listens to me, so to speak. <laughs> Stu, Stu McGill has the same effect on me. That's perfect. I love that. <laughs> so you become a father. Tell me about what being coming at, like you, you're a, a you know, self-professed terrier running around all over the place and having kids obviously affects us. How does it affect you? Does it slow you down? Does it change your, the way you think about things? What does fatherhood do for you? I mean, I still remember because my wife had a very bad delivery and the doctor was there. It was her first C-section and I do cadaver dissection and she sees that I'm knowing a bit. No joke. I was dressed like a doctor. I had to push. My, my wife was unconscious now. She had almost no signs. And, I mean, I was there with her. And then, I mean, obviously, I didn't hold the, the, the I didn't, I could not cut her. I'm not allowed to do that. But uh, she opened. She gave me, my son filled in my arms. And I still feel like, wow, that's pretty big. How, how did it come out of that stomach? But second, <laughs> it was like, right away, something changed. I mean, completely. It's like, it's like I was a new, new person completely. I totally forgot about myself. It's the, it's the first time I would have said, like, okay, I'm going to give my life for a human being. Mm. It was very interesting. Like, my wife, I love her dearly, my mom, dad, my sister. But if the bus comes in, it's in me or them, I would have had a moment. Okay, mm. my son, not even. It's, it's not even a question. It's like, okay. 
I would have not even think about it. Mm, and this is where this is where it changed. That okay, my life now is more not for him, but my job to as a up to bring him to help him to grow, like feeding feeding the the plant as much as I can, and not my own grain, his own grain. That's what my mom taught my sister. I have 22 nephews and nieces. Says, your limits are yours. Never transmit them to your kids. Mm-hmm. It's your own stuff. How did you, you know, given the nature of your, your busy, like, I'm, I'm just curious because one of the things about this industry I find we, we tend to get very on the edge of burnout at times with the workloads that we take on and it's not an unusual thing. And then when you have children in your life, sometimes you're biased to helping all these other people and then you sort of lose track of your kids. What has been an anchor point or or a a sort of a tap on the shoulder that's kept you to sort of stay connected to being a dad? But I modify my hours. I mean, I kind of cut, like I I like to finish around four o'clock to be able to cook. I became... Not a good chef, but my friend Fred Marin and uh, Antonio Park helped me a lot over the years. But I became passionate about it's a kind of helping people too. But I was there, okay, four o'clock. I tried to go home by, by five. My wife used to finish by five thirty-six, and dinner was ready. Mm-hmm. And that was for me that big thing. And also being in a gym all day, my son, when he was not at, at school age, used to be with me a lot. The gym became his his babysitter almost all the hanging out with the players and the, 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 the four lap way sister. And that was pretty interesting for Phil. He, what he loved that. That's why for me, I used to, even when I travel, I brought him to Marseille with me. I brought him a bit all over the place and I slowed down as soon as he was like, I would say six, seven years old from zero to six. I mean, he needed mom a lot more, but after that, when I saw that, okay, now I need to be more present. I modified my, my schedule. That's where I started to be more like a home cook. And, but it helped me a lot too. Is that what uh, fills your soul outside of the, of training people and working with people? Or what, what are some things that you, you sort of do to energize yourself that, that is outside of work, so to speak? I mean, again, go back, going back to my Swami Muktananda, I, I always love to meditate. I mean, although I'm a Jack Russell Terrier, I love to be alone. I remember when my son was at daycare and I, had, uh, I was on Friday, I used to finish at two. I knew that he didn't want me to pick him up until four because Friday afternoon was a lot of games at the daycare. It was a private daycare. We had a lot of fun there and the, the lady was outstanding. They were doing a lot of sports. He didn't want to be with his dad. At that. And that, I remember on Monday morning, I used to think about that two to four that I had to myself. And up to today, I, I, I like that's why I don't mind that kind of confinement because I find times to see. I, I like myself. I, I have time, I have fun. I have fun with myself. In Zermatt, every year when we have the ski camp with the girls and the skiers, this is pretty the best time of the year for me because after the hill, train them a bit. I'm alone. I walk in the mountain, and wow, for me, is this is this is paradise. Mm. And this nice. is why I enjoy I enjoy to be alone. <laughs> nice. If you uh, if you were to go back and meet um, Paul Gagne as you were sort of coming into your late 
uh, teens and early twenties, what would you, what would you say to that guy? What would you, what would be your advice to him? Uh, go to school and exercise science right away <laughs> and maybe become a doctor. Go, go to, that's your passion. Do it. Mm. Do it. You would have been that's, a that, wacky little doctor. Yeah, no, I would have probably a shrink or something like that. But, but again, this morning I was with Dr. Matt Boilly, who was athletic therapist from Concordia. Then he did his uh, uh, master degree in exercise science, and he became a radiologist. Hmm. Like very, and he's from La Salle, from the same type of of neighborhood. And that that if I had, I wish I had. He's younger than me, but if I had a role model like this when he when I was younger, probably done it. But. I know regrets. My mom told me something just before she passed away. She says, son, you will don't never regret what you did. Never, never, never regret what you didn't do. What's been one of the most inspiring moments for you as a, as a professional in, in a, in the work that you've done, like watching an athlete achieve something or what was, what's been the big one for you? Uh, The goal and silver at Sochi for the girls. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, I didn't even go to the Olympics because I thought I would get a heart attack. And I, still, <laughs> that, that's, and I was in my living room with my son and his buddies. I was going, I was on the couch and I was skiing with them. And I was like jumping around. When they won, my son says, I think my dad's going to die. And that was for me still up to today. It, it was the, the moment of, of, I still know exactly where I was, who was in the room, how it happened, and when they mm-hmm. when they won. Um, I know it's probably it's probably a difficult moment to talk about, but I'm wondering what what was your personal uh, center point of reflection when Charles Polican passed away? What did you what did that make you think about when you heard but, that? I mean, sadly, it didn't surprise me. That was because I knew his heart condition, and I knew. How, how busy he was and how much he was working a lot. And I saw him at Swiss a year and a half before the last Swiss we had. He, he didn't look that great, Charlie. And I told him, take care of yourself, man. He was like, he was pretty small. He was, uh, I didn't like his eyes. Even Lauren, he, he was there with me too. And and uh, I, I says, take care, buddy. Come on, man. They, they stop. I mean, you got enough money. You got take care of yourself. And I guess it's hard. Like Mel Sif too. Same thing with Mel. And they're very A-type personality. Mm. And it's it's very hard to slow down that. Mm. And I was really, because I felt like we just lost a, a, I mean, not only, like, he was a dear friend of mine, but I think he was coming to, I saw like a softer side mm. the last couple of years. I think the public side, I think, I don't have a crystal ball. He would have become what he was in, in private. Hmm. He was going there. He was getting, I think he didn't have to put on a show. He didn't, I think he was, he, I think he was there, but mm-hmm. hopefully, hopefully he, he hears us. And that's uh, but it was a big loss for, as he was so intelligent. He had so much of a, an understanding about human body that, and also great charisma. Mm-hmm. He was able to, I see him work with very, very regular athlete and bring them to great athleticism. Mm-hmm. He, he was like that kind of persona. Mm-hmm. So speaking of that, you will perish from this earth one day, hopefully not for a long time. What do you, what do you hope people remember you for or 
think of in remembering you? He helped me. <laughs> he helped me understand, like, okay, don't sweat the small stuff. Uh, take time to smell the flowers. It's beautiful sun outside. Uh, that's it. Every mm-hmm. moment, every second counts. Don't, don't spend time ruminating like a, a cow on stuff. It's done. Look forward. Keep a smile. What can I do to help someone? Uh, what can I do to help myself to? What can I do today to, to make something that's going to change it? Hmm. And that's, that's, I hope that that's the only, the only thing. Awesome. That's a great way to finish, sir. Thank you for your hour spent with me. I appreciate it. Uh, it's good to get together with you again and uh, talk, not just shop, but life, so to speak. Yeah. Yeah. No, thank you, Scott. Again, for, it's a big honor to be there and hope we're going to, you're going to be there for, for, for years. Enjoy. Me too. Me too. Take care, everybody. Have a good day. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Scott. Thanks for joining us today on Leave Your Mark. I hope we've left a mark on you today, and we wish only that you pay it forward by sharing this story, taking the time to rate and comment on this podcast. Please follow us at Twitter at Built by Scott and Instagram at King O'Pain and become a member of this community at Scott G. Livingston on Facebook. Have a great day. Music by Cedric de Saint-Rome.